We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work and live, the Awabakal and Waramai people, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. We celebrate the stories, culture and traditions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Elders of all communities who also work and live on this land. You're listening to Boob to Food, the podcast with Luca McCabe and Kate Holm. There is so much noise in the parenting space. And we don't mean the tantruming toddler. We understand it can feel confusing, conflicting and overwhelming. That's why we are bringing our years of experience as a midwife, nutritionist and naturopath. And of course mums. So that you can confidently navigate the roller coaster of motherhood from boob to food and beyond. Each week you'll hear practical wisdom, expert advice and inspirational stories of other mums in the depths of this parenting journey. Let's, Let's dive in. in. Today's episode is brought to you by the O Baby School of Holistic Nutrition. Welcome back to episode two. And before we dive in today, you've just got Luca and I speaking all about starting solids. But yeah, we just wanted to update you. How have you been feeling, Luca, since the big launch last week? Good. Yeah. I think you've been more excited than me, <laughs> <laughs> sending me updates every week. But we've had heaps of good feedback. So, yeah. and, um, but our claim to fame, we were number one for a little while, so claim to fame. <laughs> and I think number five in all podcasts. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll just claim that while it lasted. But thank you, everyone, for listening mm. it's, um, and for everyone's feedback, ratings, reviews. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes of a podcast. So and we didn't really know what to really expect. Happy. Like, obviously, we hoped that people would listen and we hoped that you guys would like it. Yeah. But um, I don't know, it's just so hard to... To actually know for sure. So it's been... But even if you don't, you've got us every week. So yeah. here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, how have you been this week? How many weeks pregnant are you now? I'm 12 weeks today. Um, yeah, so it was a bit earlier. We obviously recorded that last mm. episode a while ago. Um, oh, look, honestly, I'm still feeling really unwell. And actually in that episode, you know, we talked about... Um, parenting philosophy Mm. and I know I saw someone had sent a message saying um you know they related to when you were saying you're a dragon lady and and they (laughs) commented that that I didn't have any dragon lady in me and I just honestly felt so hypocritical because I've been I feel like in the week since we recorded that episode (laughs) I've been just so impatient and like I'm exhausted and just feeling really unwell and emotionally unavailable. Um, (laughs) I've found myself needing to apologize to my children a lot because I don't know, it's things like, I don't know if I've got really low blood pressure or something that I just can't um, stand up Mm. (laughs) for very long. And so like, you know, I feel like I'm hurrying them along a lot, like Mm. to get in the car, like I need to get out of the sun or I need to be sitting down, that sort of thing. So yes, I do feel like I've been part dragon lady this week. Um, And I just wanted to put that out there because (laughs) (laughs) maybe I'm rubbing off on you. You make me feel better when you say that at least. Yeah, it's been... um, yeah, it's been a challenge, but I'm um, I'm obviously also super happy and I feel grateful. Like, it's weird. Morning sickness is such a funny thing. Like obviously you don't want to feel unwell, but then so early in the pregnancy there's no outward, like you don't physically yeah. look pregnant. So mm-hmm. at least I'm like, okay, well, I know that I'm definitely still pregnant. I spewed this morning. So <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's bittersweet, but otherwise good. And, yeah, just been so stoked with how the podcast has been received. Mm-hmm. How about you? How's your week been? Well, I've had a good week. Um, I couldn't tell you what I've done. <laughs> I feel like I've worked a bit. Yeah, I haven't done a lot. I had a bit of a quieter week than the the lead up to the podcast launching was felt like I worked every day. So it's been a bit nicer to actually spend some time with the kids, which yeah. was nice. And um, and we launched yeah. the clinic too. Oh, we did too, yeah. yeah. And uh, there's been so much in the background. But mm-hmm. um yeah, I can still say that I am still a dragon lady in the mornings and <laughs> that hasn't gotten any better and, yeah, I don't know, I'm just <laughs> plodding along. I feel like that's just life, isn't it? Yeah, where am I? Where am I? <laughs> what am I doing today? Yeah, I've got to take this kid here, this one here, this one here. I've got to go. I was just saying I went to the dentist, spent $500 on a clean and check, <laughs> nearly died. <laughs> anyway, it's just life with kids but, um. 
yeah, we won't ramble on too much because you're actually listening to us today. <laughs> yeah, and obviously um, starting solids is a topic that we get a lot of questions about. Mm. So we hope that you enjoy this episode. Um, we just covered off some of the, the main points. Yeah, um, probably the main questions that we yeah. find that we get asked on Boop to Food all of the time. We're definitely going to do more follow-up episodes. We did want to make it clear, though, that the podcast isn't only going to be about yes. baby food. Yeah, I think maybe there was that preconception that after we launched that mm. it was only going to be about that but we actually have some amazing guests that we have already interviewed and more lined up that are definitely just around that whole sphere of navigating motherhood mm. uh, but we definitely have a strong nutrition and holistic I guess philosophy behind yeah. what we're doing and a reason for each podcast. Yeah, and like yeah. love to hear from you as well if there's topics that you'd love us to cover or mm. people that you'd like us to interview, whether it's inspiring mums or dads or other people, um, you know, health professionals or other experts, definitely reach out and let us know. We'd, yeah, we'd love to hear from you because obviously we're, we're making this for you and um, we want to support you however we can. Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, let's jump into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Boob to Food podcast. <laughs> You've got us, Kate and Luca. <laughs> There's no guest today. But um, we're going to be talking about all about starting solids because that's what Boob to Food is all about and I guess starting solids is the questions that we get asked the most. Mm. So we thought we would start off one of our very first podcasts with just debunking a lot of information and the frequently asked questions and um, – yeah, setting Basically some foundations. just going to do a reading of Milk to Meals. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> here is the Milk to Meals audio book. <laughs> yeah. I get asked all the time for an audio book, so here you go. <laughs> it's actually not, but <laughs> cover and, off some of the I foundations. I mean, if you are more of a visual learner, then Milk to Meals does cover all of this. Would that be a visual learner? Yeah, I guess so. Reading? Is that visual? Yeah. Well, no, no, anyway, <laughs> anyway, we'll cover you on all bases. So I guess the first question that we get asked all of the time is what age to start solids mm. and you actually did a lot of um, research on this yes, recently. Yes, I did do a bit of a deep dive into this because, um, look, there's a lot of different recommend, well, there's actually from the governing bodies, there's not, not. <laughs> a, there's not different information out yeah. there. The current recommendation is to commence solids around six months of age um, but not prior to four months of age. There are definitely still some health professionals out there who um, recommend starting around four months of age, which did used to be the kind yeah. of more global recommendation. But, yeah, with what we currently know, um, that is not. Yeah, and not the, the thing is is that the, the guidelines were actually changed a long time ago. Mm. So most of the guidelines were all changed by at least 2018. Mm. Some of them were changed earlier than that. So... The research has changed, the evidence yeah. has changed and I guess the reason that they say around six months is because they have found that that's when most babies will be meeting the signs of developmental readiness. And so like all things that babies do, they walk at different ages, they yeah. talk at different ages, it, they will also be ready to eat food at different ages and whilst it's unsafe to offer a child food under four months, most babies will be ready closer to that six-month yeah. mark, but you've got a little bit of a window and that might be two weeks before their six months. Yeah. It might be two weeks after their six months. It's not a magic age that, you know, they yeah. hit that day and you can start salt. We have <laughs> had people reach out and ask, you know, do we do six months by like the day that they were born or is it 24 weeks? It's like you don't actually need to be that calculated about it. Mm. It's about observing your child and looking for the signs of readiness, which we'll go into mm. um, to figure out, you know, when is the right time for them and, and when's the right time for your family. And we should probably preface this by saying that there are some children who will have unique health requirements. So if you have been given, you know, a different recommendation based on a specific health need, mm. um, that might you know, it might be different then for your family. But for most children who are developing, um, you know, typically and don't have additional health requirements, then the guideline of commencing solids around six months of age, once they've shown those signs of readiness, will be the most appropriate. Yeah. And I, we think that maybe some practitioners are still recommending around the four months because there is some emerging research mm around allergens and children who are at a high risk of developing an allergy. So 
potentially mm-hmm. a strong family history of allergies or part of the atopic march with yeah. having eczema and asthma is that they there could be an inclination to, sorry, not inclination, indication mm. <laughs> to start solids or potentially to start the allergens earlier. Mm. So they're finding that some of the research is uh, showing that the earlier that allergens are introduced, so currently the guidelines for the allergens are from to introduce around that six-month mark but before 12 months, mm. but they're finding that um, I think the studies were done on peanuts, weren't Peanut they? Peanut and egg mm. have been um, sort of, I guess, the most researched. Yeah. And, yeah, there was some success in um, children who had that higher or increased risk of developing allergy, that earlier introduction, so closer to that four-month mark, um, was beneficial for some children mm. in the reduction of allergy to peanut and egg. But it's um, even the researchers, I mean, it's not really conclusive and this is, I guess, like research for you. It's always evolving and there's mm. always new questions being asked. Um, and the researchers also acknowledge the limitation that this might not be able to be extrapolated out to the other allergen foods. So, mm. again, like if you do fall into that category or your child does fall into that category, of an you know increased risk of developing an allergy so it would be yeah if they have severe eczema if there's a strong family history of allergy um if they you know if they have a sibling who has um food allergies then speak to your healthcare provider and and work out a plan for you Mm. but again for the sort of general population who don't have those tendencies, then the introduction of those allergens around or from around six months of age, yeah. you don't want to do them all at once, no. <laughs> um, is, yeah, is appropriate. Yeah. So in terms of the signs of readiness, there's a few that we'll go into. The I guess the first one that people notice is when babies show some interest in starting solids. So you might notice that you're eating and they're trying to grab for your food or that you're trying to grab food out of your hand or they're trying to grab it off of your plate. And this I think is a sign that can confuse a lot of mm. pa- parents because it is a sign that they often will show around that four-month mark. But I like to remind parents that they are also interested in absolutely everything in the mm. world and, you know, they might grab your car keys, but it doesn't mean that they want to drive. Like, they <laughs> probably put everything. them in your mouth, in their <laughs> mouth as well. Yeah, and they are putting things in their mouth, which mm. is actually a really good sign because, you know, that's helping them to learn to map the mouth and learn how far to put things in their mouth and, mm. you know, even sort of stimulating that gag reflex sometimes. So there's lots of developmental benefits to that. But it doesn't mean that they necessarily want or need to Mm. start solids. But you can play on this if you do have a little four- to six-month-old who's, you know, showing those signs. Give them a silicon spoon to play with Mm. like, or give them – you know, some toys that, you know, everyone's got, I think that's Sophie the giraffe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like these things are really good for them to put in their mouth. But you can also offer, you know, I, I like to give my um, children, like they might have like a whole raw carrot or something mm. like that, obviously under supervision. But they're not eating it, but they're just yeah. something to put in their mouth and they can play around. But the idea is that they're not actually yeah, eating not any of these it. things. So you can definitely play on that. You can definitely involve them with mealtime. So, you, you know, you can put them on your lap while you're eating. They're going to learn. It's going to be really beneficial when you actually do start them if they've actually seen you eat before mm. because – they don't know how to do those things sometimes instinctually. Some babies really need to be shown. And so having them involved with mealtime as early as possible mm-hmm. is really beneficial for for that many reasons, but for that reason especially. So um, the biggest one that, that I think that is the key sign to look for, I mean, we want to look for all of the signs, but the key one that I would be looking for is that they can sit uh basically unassisted so when we say that it means that if you were to put them in a high chair or put them on your lap that they could sit there with good trunk stability which means that their core is nice and strong and holding them upright so they might not be able to do this on the floor they might not be able to actually get themselves to a sitting position that can take a while and you know if you were to plonk them on the floor some six-month-olds still wouldn't have enough trunk stability Mm -hmm. to really sit there but the idea is if you were to put them in a ch- in a high chair without heaps of, you know, 
cushioning unless your child has additional needs but usually without any cushioning or support that they'd be able to sit there that they'd be able to um, have enough support that they're not flopping forward to the Mm. sides that's a really important one just to show that you know it's a good indicator that all those core muscles that are needed to actually digest the food Mm. for peristalsis which is like that muscle like contraction to actually move the food through you know everywhere that it needs to mm-hmm. move it through and so they don't get constipated and move it out through the bowel. It's a good sign that all of those things are working well. But the other thing is that it also can be quite a bit of a choking risk if they're yeah. flopping forward, especially if they have a floppy head. So mm-hmm. we don't want them to look like, you know, there's um, – I never know what they're called when I'm explaining this analogy mm-hmm. when I don't have a picture. You know, just things people – I was going to say used to, but people still might put on their cars and their heads bobbled, like a bobble head. Oh, you know yeah. those things? Yeah. And you flick the head and they boom. <laughs> you don't want them to look like that, a bobble head. <laughs> their head should be really nice and strong. So, and they also don't want their head flopping forward. Yes. That's a really big one because then if they're eating and their head's flopping forward, you're really narrowing their airway even further. I mean, it's super hard to swallow as well. Like totally. if you try to swallow right now with your head down, it's, it's very challenging. It so yeah. they need to be able to have that good, head and neck control so that they can be upright to Mm. safely um, and easily swallow whatever it is that they are ingesting. Yeah. And And I guess another thing, sorry, is also like if they're sitting upright, they also generally then will have the ability to reach for food and grab food. I was about to say that as well. Great minds. (laughs) (laughs) We are one. Um, Yeah, so they'll be able to actually like grab for food, grab for the spoon. Um, If you're holding out a spoon, they'll be able to grab for that. They'll be able to, you know, then be able to indicate to you that they've Mm. had enough. And so many babies will show the skill, this is another sign, that they can show you they've had enough or want more. And many babies will show this by the four-month mark. So, for example, if you're breastfeeding, that they'll be able to turn away from the breast when they've had enough. Same thing with a bottle. If you're bottle feeding, that they might push the bottle away. This is an indication that they can show you that they've had enough and that's really important when it Mm. comes to starting solids so that they can give you those signs and that you can be aware of their signs. So, And the other one is the the loss of the tongue thrust reflex. But to be honest, I don't think many babies have this Mm. past four months. So basically that's a reflex that if you were to put anything in their mouth that their tongue will – it's a reflex, so it's instinctively will just push that thing back out of the mouth. And so you can test this by, you know, putting a little like a silicon spoon or mm-hmm. something into their mouth and seeing if their tongue automatically will push it out. But it can sometimes be a little bit tricky to test because mm. they might also be like, what's this? And they'll yeah. just do it. But it's more a reflex. So you want to yes. look for it like it's not like your baby's thinking about it and then pushing it out. They just it's just instinctively done. Yeah. 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 I think it's really evident in younger babies if you're mm. not sure about that tongue thrust reflex. And it will certainly be evident if it is present when you start solids and, you know, try mm. to put a spoon to their mouth that they'll um, they'll push that and the food back out again. So, yeah, and usually um, those readiness signs will all start to line up around that six-month mark. So, again, it's not like exactly six months from the day that they were born um there can be a window of you know a few weeks either side Mm. um but yeah really great I think that the biggest one that parents feel or probably the two biggest ones that parents feel confused about from um the messages that we receive are when babies are super interested and a lot of parents like but I just feel so bad because Mm. they're like crying at mealtimes they're trying to get food off my plate and so it is just like remembering they really explore the world with their mouth so they're you know that's such a sensory experience for them um the upsetness isn't necessarily that they're hungry it's just like I really want to I want to know what that is um but doesn't mean they necessarily need to eat and then yeah the sitting I think it's good to clarify that it doesn't necessarily mean that they can sit unsupported on the floor Mm -hmm. but as long as they can be nice and stable in the high chair um so that they have the use of their arms it's safe for them to swallow um yeah, and I guess comfortable for them as well. Yeah, like. yeah. And, and comfort is a big key when it comes to solids that, you know, that they are comfortable in the mm. high chair. So if you are in the market for a high chair, this is a bit of a, what's it called? <laughs> what's it called? A plug. tangent. No, no, no a not, tangent. not a plug, a tangent. I'm going on a bit of a tangent, sorry. Um, if you're in a market for a high chair, you really want to look for one with a footrest or you can a lot of you know if you were to buy say the ikea one you can buy specific footrests for those high chairs because if you can imagine when you're sitting on a stool and your legs are just dangling there 
and you know if you're not don't have any support you don't feel very comfortable to eat it's much more comfortable when your feet are planted on the ground when you've got a nice backrest and support and so those are some things that you want to look for for a high chair and just to make sure our babies are comfortable so if you've got a little one that really hates the high chair at a young I'm not talking about toddlers when they mm-hmm. refuse my son, <laughs> my son who's 20 I think months refuses to sit in a high chair at the Mm. moment which is infuriating but um he just likes to smear food all over the house (laughs) um no but when you have a little baby yeah you want them to be nice and comfortable so that they feel yeah happy about having their meals yeah the reason that the signs of readiness though are really important is that I guess we want our babies when we're starting solids, and this is something that we're really passionate about, boob to food, is to actually be able to digest the food well mm. and to tolerate the food well and have good experiences with food. And so if we start our babies, you know, before they're ready, mm. then from what we see anecdotally is that there is a higher increase of things like sleep disturbances, which is interesting because still you hear of some health practitioners or sleep consultants saying start solids mm. early because it will help the sleep, but it's actually often the opposite will happen. And so um, that's something to be aware of. And, you know, we've had conversations with, say, Christy from The Sleep Teacher who's mm. definitely – agreed with this philosophy philosophy as well um the other thing is that little ones who are starting solids too early can be more prone to constipation as well and that's a really big passion of ours as well yeah because so much constipation is very preventable in Mm. our infants yeah definitely and I guess as well it's like the combination of we want them to be neurologically ready to start solids, we want them to be ready from an immune perspective, from a gastrointestinal perspective, as well as obviously the interest, which is, I guess, part of that neurological readiness. So it's um, it's not always easy to, you know, you can't be like, hmm, I wonder how my child's gut is on the inside. So we've got to just know that from what we know of like typical development of babies, that the the gut becomes mature enough and the immune system mature enough to tolerate solid foods around that six-month mark. So Mm. it's sort of, yeah, using those external signs as cues that everything is good to go on the inside because really, I mean, the body works as a whole system. So while we're looking at these things in isolation, it's really the body's way of saying, yep, now's like the green light, we're good Mm. to go. And I think it's important to remember that uh, breast milk or formula is – nutritionally complete uh, Mm. until that age our babies have the reserves that they need from in utero until around that age so they don't need any extra food generally speaking Mm. there will be like Kate mentioned at the beginning there will be occasional circumstances where they may need supplements or things but generally speaking our babies don't need anything extra And I think the other thing that I hear a lot is you know that babies are hungry and they're hungry Mm. and that they want food um or that they're waking because they're hungry or that they're not satisfied with their milk. And I also like to remind parents and caregivers that when they start solids, they'll often eat like one teaspoon of food. Mm. Or, you know, if you might have a low birth weight, or not birth weight, a low a low weight <laughs> yeah. child who's, you know, not uh who's who's dropping down on the graphs or it's just a low percentile like my daughter was and still is <laughs> and you know I was told this at four months to start her on solids because she's on the second percentile and you know it's like well they, they only often eat a teaspoon of mm. food and so really if this is your if this is your story and you've been told this and really you want to be tilking more to lactation consultants yes. or looking into the formula because that's actually got a lot more calories in it than the food they're likely to ingest will. So just remember that as well, that food is, I hate this saying, I love this saying, but yeah. you know, <laughs> love-hate relationship, but food is for fun before, before they're one, that's the thing, food, yeah. for fun, food for fun before they're one. I have a love-hate relationship with it because in so many avenues then yes food should be fun it should be a sensory experience it should be you know relax with the family there's so much more to food than the actual just ingesting of the food and the nutrients I have a hate relationship with that saying because there are still some nutrients that our little ones do require which we'll go into a bit more in detail but the whole point of my story is that if your child has that story that they are a lower weight, then you want to be talking with your pediatricians or GP and working out a plan. And and if you are breastfeeding, then uh, speak to a lactation consultant mm. because 
there's also just, you know, you might find that they also just ramp up their, if they are demand feeding for breastfeeding, then they yeah. might often just ramp up their feeds around four yeah. months. That's really developmentally normal to have these, you know, times where they'll feed more, they'll change the milk, bring in mm. different milk, you know, uh, constitutions and things like that. And there's also lots of things going on around four months. There's the, if you want to call it a, a regression <laughs> or a progression, whatever you want to call it, yeah, the, the change, the time when the sleep <laughs> goes away. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's lots of developmental things happening for our little ones, and we also have to remember that our little ones also feed for not just for nutritional yeah, needs, they're totally. feeding for comfort, they're feeding for connection. And so that's really important to know as well that whilst, yes, food, you know, is going to provide some of that nutrients, they'll still be relying mainly on their milk feeds for the nutritional yeah. needs until at least 12 months and, yeah. you know, even longer if you like <laughs> yeah. us and you're breastfeeding <laughs> older toddlers. <laughs> yeah. And I think also important to flag that when you do introduce solids, you know, some babies take to it really quickly and they might consume a decent volume. Mm. Some babies will hardly consume anything, could be like half a teaspoon. But the food that is consumed can then displace those milk feeds. So if you are in that situation of your little one being a low weight and you feel like a supply issue might be part of the problem, then you don't really want to be displacing those milk feeds because Mm. it is supply and demand. So again, like just reiterating that if you have concerns there, speak to a lactation consultant who can try to help you, um, you know, bring that supply kind of back Mm. online or where it needs to be. And Obviously, that's not to say that, you know, if your child is around that six-month mark and shows those readiness signs not to introduce the solids, but you just want to make sure that the milk feeds are still prioritised and that Mm. your supply is still being protected. Um, Yeah. And I get asked a lot about that, like how do you keep milk the priority when you are starting solids? And Mm. I think for the majority of babies, the easiest way to do this is that you would feed them solids after a milk feed Mm. so for the majority of say six month old babies there's on three to two naps a day we would only be starting them on one meal a day to start with uh and you know this is normal to start on one meal a day for probably at least a month if not a bit longer and there's no magic time of the day to start them on solids um i found personally with my children, my first two children, I should say, that mm-hmm. I found that mid-morning worked best for us only because I found that, you know, that they would have quite a long uh, milk feed in the morning when they first woke up. Not that the night was good, but for some reason, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like they slept all night, but, you know, <laughs> they still would have like quite a long, you know, and it was always nice in bed to have mm. that long, nice breastfeed in the morning. And so then I found that that would kind of keep them full and they seemed fine and not really interested in anything else and then I found that that first nap always came really quickly Mm. and it was because you're just busy in the morning you're trying to shower and get out of the Mm -hmm. house etc then they would have that first nap of the day and then I found that introducing solids after that first nap so then they would sorry wake up have a milk feed again Mm -hmm. from their wake and then we would do solids because I just found that that awake window was usually the time that they were happiest in the day the most alert and most awake I guess like the Mm. longest awake window before you got into the afternoon and the you know witching hour Mm. and the overstimulated and tired did you find similar I'm just trying to remember I genuinely can't recall what time Mm. of day we were doing I feel like possibly we were more likely to do solids um for our evening meal to be honest because I mean we eat dinner super early like we're five o'clock dinner and um that's the meal that we're all at home together for. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I could be wrong. It's honestly like a <laughs> blank spot in my mind. Well, that's why I said my first two because yeah. for my third, because I was doing the school run, mm. I was the same. I found that the afternoons worked better yeah. for him because it was the only time I was home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously he had meals sometimes out, but yeah, that's the thing. There's no magic time. Yeah. It's what works for you and your family. It, yeah. it doesn't matter what time it's going to be. And yeah. it doesn't have to be the same time every day. So totally. don't think that either. I mean, obviously, if you're a super, someone that thrives on a strict routine, then you might like to choose a time. But mm. generally speaking, you definitely don't need to do that. 
We'll be back after this short break. Today's episode is brought to you by the O Baby School of Holistic Nutrition. I get asked all the time where I studied to become a nutrition consultant and what it entailed. So where did you study? I studied with the O Baby School of Holistic Nutrition in 2019 when we were living full-time in a caravan traveling Australia. Wait, so you were traveling at the time that you did your studies. How did you even manage that when you were on the road? It was really great because it was self-paced and completely online. So I could study when I wanted to and when I wasn't too sleep deprived, but I could also have time off when life was too busy or Florence was inevitably not sleeping (laughs) or we didn't have internet. So it was really great just to fit in with our life. Yeah. And what made you choose O-Baby over a different degree or another course? The O-Baby School of Holistic Nutrition is the only school that specialises exclusively in holistic health for pregnancy, postpartum and babies. And because I was already a midwife and registered nurse, I didn't really want to do another degree, but I personally found the course so helpful to expand my knowledge in a more holistic way and to deepen my expertise and advice that I could offer the women babies I was working with, such as helping with starting solids and first foods for babies, especially with a strong focus on gut support and how to help a new mother through her pregnancy and postpartum journey through nutrition advice and helping with common ailments through practical holistic therapies. I personally haven't done the course, but I have had so many clients who've completed it and I've always been so impressed with just, yeah, how practical the knowledge is. And even for those who aren't planning to have a career change, there's just so much that they've learned and been able to implement for their own families. Yeah. You can use the code boob to food to deduct $300 from your enrollment. Visit obabynutrition.com or click on the link in the show notes for more information. Let's get back to today's episode. So a lot of babies will start on just that one meal a day for, you know, usually up until around seven months and then usually somewhere between seven and nine months they'll go to two meals a day. Again, it's no right or wrong. And a lot of people say, how do you know when they're ready for two and... A lot of the time I find it often coincides with the drop of a nap, Mm. that there's a longer awake period and, you know, you might find that they're signaling as well as they get older that they want food. So you might find that you're eating something or they might seem a little bit extra whingy or you might just think, oh, I'll just give it a go and see see if they like it. Um, And then somewhere between nine and 12 months they'll move to three meals a day and, I guess the whole idea is that by 12 months they're eating three meals a day. So it really doesn't matter what the progression is. Mm. The only thing that I see as being an issue sometimes is when someone starts too hard too fast and, you know, goes straight to three meals a day or progresses so quickly to that and that's when we can see a few digestive issues or Mm. constipation happening because breast milk has what – very very little fiber yeah basically not existing yeah so then when you're introducing you know and and often baby food is quite high fibrous food Mm. and not that fiber is a bad thing at all we need the fiber but when you're introducing so much all at once it can be a little bit hard for our little ones to I guess break it down and it can lead to some constipation so just being reminded that their little digestive systems are very delicate and mm. they can take a little while to learn how yeah. to digest I mean, food. I guess it's almost like with breast milk in a way, like where, you know, breastfeeding is supply and demand with the digestion of food, the it's a feedback loop as well. So the body will start to produce and release digestive enzymes into in response to mm. what's being consumed in terms of the amount and the frequency. So it does take some time to you know, for that to kind of come online and it's not like a set, like, oh, it'll take six weeks from the date. Like it's not, it's not like that. You've just got to, um, I guess go slow and steady Mm. and obviously recognizing your baby's cues as well, because some babies do seem hungry for, you know, more meals right away and others are still not that interested even by that 12 month mark. So just, yeah, I guess like trusting the uniqueness of your little one mm. and you don't have to be hyper vigilant around um things like const- I mean you'll know if they're constipated <laughs> um like don't feel overly concerned but I think just have an awareness that mm. okay if my child's been like super eager to eat solid food and we've ramped it up quite quickly maybe was that too quick can we pull it back a little bit um 
and just give their little body a chance to play catch up. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's not the driver behind constipation and I'm sure we'll have many an episode on that topic yeah. eventually. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it can be quite a common one in the early days of commencing solids. And I think it's important what you said as well is that we can bring it back. Like yeah. if you do find you've gone too hard too fast, it's totally okay to to drop it down again. Yeah. So if you find that your little one did get a bit constipated, for example, that's, you know, you can drop it down again, you know, back to one meal and work your way up again or just drop down to two, for example. But, yeah, there's definitely no – I feel like there's a little bit of like a, I think it's motherhood in general. (laughs) Sometimes like a rush to get to certain things, like it's a race and it's like solids isn't a race, you know. Mm. It it, it takes some little ones so long and for some some little ones that we see that they're not even interested in solids Mm. until 10 months old Mm. and that can be so normal. It can be quite stressful um, and frustrating when you're preparing meals and they're not eating it. But it can also be really normal for mm. a lot of little ones. And so, and then, you know, on the flip side, you might have a child who, yeah, wants to go to three meals yeah. and is just so hungry and not even hungry, but just so interested in the yes. food and loves it. And I personally, I've had three children and my first one was like that. Flynn was on three meals a day, quite early, tolerated it fine mm. and absolutely loved food. Still is a great eater still only has three meals a day. Like he's not mm. a snacker. He's just a real, I don't know, eats big meals and mm-hmm. that's him. And then on the flip side, my youngest child, Will, took months to even put anything in his mouth, mm. I swear. And I was thought, oh, this is a, this is like my <laughs> curse for owning boot. You know, this is to keep me humble. Yeah. <laughs> um, and still he's like, he will eat, but he's very, he's not fussy. Like he will eat anything but it's very much if he wants to eat he'll eat and if he doesn't want to eat he Mm -hmm. will not eat all day sometimes it's very yeah and you have to just trust that they you know and I guess that's the thing we want to give them the ability to learn their hunger cues and they need to be the ones that you know it's, it's our job as parents to offer them food in regular intervals and for us to choose what we feed them but it's it's really up to them whether they eat it or not and so you know we don't want to do any of these like how we might have grown up with the here comes Mm. the aeroplane or the, you know, shoving food into their mouth because that's not giving them a chance to learn those hunger cues, to learn their fullness cues Mm. and to also trust and respect them. So we really want them to be in control of what they put in their mouth. Yeah, I was similar to Luca um, with my first. Um, He was very, very, very slow to take to solids and I was super stressed about it, to be honest. Um, Here I was, you know, I've worked in this space for quite a long time (laughs) and I had all these visions of like, how it was going to be and I love cooking so I was going to make him all these amazing foods and he'd love them and eat them. Anyways, did not go to plan at (laughs) all and I work with a lot of kids and I used to feel really um, quite, I guess, self-conscious and worried. I remember having children around the same age coming in for appointments and they'd bring their little lunchbox and over the duration of their consult they'd like smash a whole lunchbox Mm. and it would be more than Jude would eat in a few days truly (laughs) and so it did get to a point where I was like I think I need to engage some help here because I'm I was really concerned um that he couldn't eat like I mean he could and he there were some things that he would eat I guess like Will like when he wanted to Mm. um and then we actually at the practice that I used to work at I used to run um starting solids workshops alongside a chiropractor and a speech pathologist and on this particular day I'd, I'd taken Jude with me to present the workshop and I said to the speech pathologist at the beginning I think I need to book an appointment with you like I'm really worried he's just not getting into solids at all and so we chatted about like how we might make that happen and pretty much from then on he started eating <laughs> I think I just needed to like so didn't get humble as well no yeah. didn't end up having an appointment at all because something just shifted Mm. and the thing I guess for me and my husband is quite um I guess balanced in this where I can get caught up in the oh no what if it's this what if it's this what if it's this Mm. like sometimes when you I don't know you know too much can become a problem um my husband always be like you know he's he was always massive he was always like 95th percentile or Mm. higher for weight um he was healthy like his immune system was good his skin was good he was sleeping well he was super happy his bowel was moving well like there was no outward sign that there was anything 
wrong for Mm. him Um, but it can be really hard to trust that when you know you do see other babies and they can eat quite differently Mm. to your child and at the same time I think it's important that if you feel concerned and even if you think your concern isn't warranted there is no harm in seeking another opinion and getting some support even if it's so that practitioner can just say no this is fine it's normal Mm. I think just to give you that peace of mind Um, but yeah the journey to eating food can look so incredibly different from child to child. And I think something that um, I've seen a lot of parents can get caught up in in the like amount that our child eats is I think a lot of the time we're comparing to the baby food that you can buy at the store that Mm. says one serve. Yes. You know, so you're looking at the jars or the pouches and you think, oh, like that's a serve, Mm. that's what they're meant to eat. But in reality they might eat, yeah, a teaspoon of Mm. that or nothing. And that can sometimes feed into that. So just remember that that doesn't actually mean it's a serve. Like I would say, you know, for baby starting solids that, you know, around the upper limit that you probably would offer as say a puree, for example, would be like a quarter of a cup, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're first starting out. And it's just gauging your little one's fullness cues from there. So if you choose to spoon feed, then you would be looking for those signs that they're pushing the spoon away, that they're turning their head away, that they might cry Mm. uh, and seem upset or agitated. That's the time to stop the meal. You don't want to push it any more than that. Um, The... With finger foods, you know, you might offer a couple of bits of finger food. To be honest, a lot of it will probably end mm-hmm. up on the ground. But, you know, you might just offer a couple of bits of finger food if you're doing baby lab weaning. And I guess the big beauty of finger foods is that your baby, there's really no risk of overfeeding because mm. they're in complete control of the meal. Whereas with spoon feeding, they absolutely can be in control if you allow them to be and you um, – like I said, if you're aware of those signs that they're giving you and you respect them, then that's great. But we do, don't want to do that. Yeah, here comes the aeroplane and sort of force feed them to eat food because yeah. that's not good in the long run. And when we're thinking of solids for our little ones, really we want to be looking at the long-term game mm-hmm. more so than the short-term game. So just keep in mind that that you're setting up the foundations for, you know, not to put the pressure on, <laughs> but like, you know, it's more so about a relaxed meal time. It's yeah. about having healthy, you know, relationship with food and, yeah. and loving food for what it is. It's mm. it's not so much about having to get a certain amount into yeah. there. You know, it's not a medication where yeah. you're like, oh, they yeah. need 10 milligrams, you know. It's- Look, I mean, serving sizes are questionable. There's definitely some <laughs> chocolates that I buy and it says that it's six serves. I'm pretty sure it's just one. one. <laughs> so well, you like can ignore that. These days, you're like, there's more air in this than <laughs> chips. Like, <laughs> it's so true. And I guess, like, that's the other thing we get asked a lot about too is, is what's better, baby led weaning or spoon mm. feeding. And this is something I feel quite passionate about. I feel like I could say that about everything. I'm so passionate <laughs> about it because I am because there's so many things. And I I think something, something that really frustrates me in the parenting world is this, you know, it can be sometimes a bit competitive, hey, mm. and it's like if you don't do something this way then it's the same with sleeping, you know, yeah. or like there's so many different things. But I feel like baby low weaning is one of those areas that seems to attract, <laughs> I don't know, a certain, I don't know how to explain it. Like it's like one way or no way. Yes. You know what I mean? It gets quite dogmatic and it. Is that I the word? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah, that's the word. It is because it's like, so I'm always of the belief that it doesn't matter which way that you choose to offer solids. It's um, more so about how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if the thought of baby led weaning, which is essentially a fancy word for finger foods if the thought of offering finger foods and finger foods alone to your little one freaks you out and you think that that would be really just stressful for you and the thought of your baby gagging is really stressful then don't do that because it's more important that there is a relaxed parent or caregiver whoever's offering the baby food than this the way that you're serving the Mm -hmm. food so I think there's pros and cons to both. There is, Um, yeah. You know, like if you do have a baby who has maybe some additional health requirements and you need to be a little bit more, you know, closely monitoring actually their ingestion of food, then probably purees is the way to go because you can 
not necessarily measure, but you have more of an idea of how much is actually gone yeah. in and you and can they control do tend what that to is. Just a bit yeah. more with puree. And there are studies that link that baby led weaning has a higher incidence of low iron. Mm. Um, and I I don't know if this is the reason, but my one of my thinking behind that is that meat can be quite scary mm. or the the forms of iron that are quite mm. high and your heme iron sources, which we'll go into a bit more. They often are the, you know, some parents who are doing baby led weaning might not offer those foods because they yes. are those more scary foods. And so, yeah, if you feel more comfortable during purees, then that's absolutely fine. The downside, I guess, to purees is that they're not learning any uh, textures of foods. Yeah. All food kind of ends up looking and tasting quite similar. So they're not learning different flavor profiles as much as they might with finger foods. They're not learning how to chew, how to swallow. Mm. And even how to move the food around the mouth. Yeah. So when they're taking food off the spoon, it's still more of that sucking action. So mm. the food moves quite quickly to the back of the mouth versus when they're putting it in their mouth themselves, they then are using, you know, the lips and the tongue to mm. actually move the food to the back to swallow it. So it's like it's quite a different skill neurologically Very, and they'll yeah. master both eventually. Um, but yeah, that's it's it's just different. It's it is. Different. And I guess that's my only like golden rule if you're doing purees, if I was to have one rule, <laughs> is to <laughs> I think that if you were to be offering purees, if you feel more comfortable doing that, then that's totally fine. But I would really aim to be introducing some finger foods by nine months of age because mm. you do want them to learn these skills early when there's this window of opportunity that they are not, you know a toddler who's way more yeah. <laughs> vocal about what they do and don't want. And also you want them to, you know, learn how to chew. You want them to mm-hmm. learn where to put food in their mouth. You want them to, you know, they are going to gag and that's really developmentally normal and they need to gag and they need mm-hmm. to learn how to safely get food back out of their mouth as well if they were to put it, you know, mm-hmm. too far down. So there's also lots of protective mechanisms that are in play yes. at that younger age that, are good to utilize while they're there yeah. um, to help protect against choking. So, mm. for example, the gag reflex is actually a lot closer uh, to like the front of the mouth than it is for you and I who are mm. adults. And, you know, if anyone's ever stuck, the, I always sound, <laughs> if you ever stuck your finger down your throat, you know, if you're pregnant and trying to get it out, for example, um, you know, you've got to stick your fingers down quite far to activate that gag reflex Mm. whereas with our little ones you might find that they're gagging you know with food that's an inch into their mouth and that's actually to protect against choking to you know and and then gradually that gag reflex will move further backwards and you know get to where ours is but Mm. that'll take a while and so while they've got this it's really good to to introduce those finger foods. Yeah. And actually probably important to just highlight um, the difference between gagging and choking mm. because I think, um, yeah, sometimes there can be a bit of confusion even though, I mean, it's, a, it's two very, very different things. So gagging, just like to quickly summarise, will be loud. It's obviously quite often quite dramatic um, but yeah, they'll, you, they'll be able, able to make noise. So there's often like coughing, some babies will vomit. Um, but the noise is a good thing because it means that there's still air going in and out. Um, with choking, it will be completely silent. And so choking occurs when the airway is completely occluded. So usually that is when something of like an inappropriate shape and size has Mm. made its way back um, and has managed to completely block that airway so no air can come in or out and therefore also no sound can come in and out which is another reason why it's super important to be having meals with your baby Mm. because um, if they're gagging you'll know about it (laughs) if they're choking you won't necessarily know if you've stepped away Mm. so um, yeah we'll we'll go into that in more detail probably in other episodes I think it's you know often too with choking like it can be the wrong shape or size or texture of a texture is a big one of the food that it's not easily squishable yes Um, but another thing that can happen with choking is when we're caught off guard so Mm. when a child's for example running around with food or Mm -hmm. um, not concentrating on what they're actually doing that's when it's dangerous and so that can actually happen with spoon feeding too Mm. if you were to offer like a really chunky puree for example and they slurp it back and Mm. they're not expecting a chunk 
that's when, you know, if that chunk is big enough to occlude the airway, then that's when the, the choking can happen. Mm-hmm. So that's another one of those protective mechanisms though is that when our babies are, have been the ones to actually chew the food and make the decision to put it in their mouth, so mm-hmm. you don't want to put food in our babies if you're offering finger foods, you want them to be the ones to put it in their mouth. Mm-hmm. If they've been the ones to put that food in their mouth, if they've been the ones to to take the bite and chew, the risk of choking is so much less because their yeah. brain has done all of the things that it needs to do to recognize that there's food in there mm. and, yeah, to to not choke, which is what we want to aim for. Yes, but absolutely. I think too with finger foods, like there's lots of benefits to them obviously, but if you do feel anxious about it and you think, you know, if you were to see your baby gagging and every time they gag you were to like hit them on the back or mm. stick your fingers down their throat, if you can imagine, like, if every time you were eating dinner, someone, like, whacked you on the back or stuck their fingers down the throat, like, mm. or was just sitting there staring at you with this, like, you know, yeah, hovering, look panicked on look on their face, like, you wouldn't like mealtime. You'd be like, mm. get me out of here. What mm. is this horrible, stressful situation? This is what our babies are picking up on our energy. And so this is when, I mean, if if that's going to be you, um, it might be better to start on purees and gradually work yeah. up to the finger food. So you might as start you with gain something. the confidence yeah. as well as your baby. Because yeah. yeah. it can say, you know, you might say nine months and you think, oh, that's still really early. But, you know, you think that's like three months of, of yeah. having meals. You'll feel a lot more confident and your yeah. baby will be also a lot more, you know, able body by then mm. that you might have more confidence in their skills as well and a good foods to start with if you are feeling um you know concerned or worried about this might be things like what we call hard munchable foods mm. so they're foods that you're not actually assuming your baby will eat them or they're not intended to be eaten but they're just to play with or chew on and so they might be things like a big rib bone or um, a lamb cutlet or a chicken drumstick or corn on the cob or on the cob like yeah watermelon like rind with like most of the melon cut off there might be a pineapple core um these you know it could even just be a, 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 spoon. a spoon yeah, yeah a puree the puree pre-loaded spoon with puree on it and these things are going to still provide that benefit of the chewing they're not going to get the swallowing from it but they're going to learn about putting the food in their mouth mapping their mouth and chewing Mm. and so they're really good ones to start with yeah and and then you might move on to those foods that you might feel more comfortable with so you might feel really comfortable for example with like a ripe piece of avocado or, you know, some steamed sweet potato or something mm. like that, something that's really soft and squishable. So we want to aim for foods that can be easily squished between our thumb and forefinger, mm-hmm. which means that they can easily squish the food between their tongue and the roof of their mouth. And if they can do that, then that choking risk is even more lessened again. So, um, and we also want to try and aim for the right sizes of food mm. with finger foods. So, you know, we want to look for around that your finger shape is a really good size but even really big food can be Mm. good that they're forced to take bites from. So interesting because I think it's Mm. actually, um, you know, the younger the baby it's almost like you start bigger Bigger, and then get smaller as they gain that skill and are are more confidently able Mm. to move small pieces around their mouth. Um, We do often get questions about um, children who already have teeth Mm. when they're about to start solids. Would you change anything for those? Yeah. No. I mean – they still have teeth under yeah, their gums. Yeah. If anyone's been gums bitten on the hard. nipple, they know <laughs> those things are hard. Yeah, so teeth or no teeth, we wouldn't change anything yeah. there. I think also, um, you know, you might have a plan. You might decide, yeah, I'm doing purees or, yeah, I'm doing baby lead weaning. Mm. Your baby might have yeah, a different plan. So, so, you know, there's some babies who will clamp their mouth shut anytime you put a spoon mm. near them, but as soon as you give them the autonomy to feed themselves, they're more than happy to do that mm. and vice versa. There might be some children who don't want to pick up a food themselves and they mm. love you to do it for them. So I think, again, staying open to that communication that your child is yeah. giving you and um, I think, you know, we have to stay flexible as parents because keep us on our toes. Yeah, we might have our plan. They might have another. I just wanted to add as well a funny story. My um, so my husband's cousin has a little one who's recently started solids, and she's doing baby led weaning. And his uncle was like, I don't know, she's doing that baby fettuccine thing, (laughs) (laughs) baby led weaning. (laughs) I've had more than one person be like, "What's baby linguine?" Like, (laughs) it's funny. I um was alluded to the fact that my this is a few years ago now that 
Beer to Food was banned from this certain mm. um, baby led weaning page because I didn't promote that that was the only way yeah. to feed your child. <laughs> yeah, and funny. actually that's, we haven't said that. You can do both. You can yeah, do a mixture absolutely. of the two. Absolutely. I think. Yeah, um, so like like we said, meat can be a stressful one for some parents um, or there might be another food and, and that's fine to offer as a puree mm-hmm. and then you might do finger foods for the other food. It, it doesn't matter what way that you do it. Yeah. Just remember that golden rule of at least some finger foods by yeah. nine months and the aim, again, is that they're eating family meals by 12 months so you yeah. wouldn't really want to be offering purees after 12 months I mean obviously some foods are always going to be in that form like yeah. yogurt or yeah. porridge or something but we're not going to be like actively mm. uh, pureeing food by 12 months obviously for some little ones with developmental yeah. um, things and they they might need that further help and hopefully seeking some help from a speech pathologist or OT yeah. but for the general public um, yeah we would be aiming for for family meals by then and yeah. I guess you know the big thing with finger with baby led weaning is that the whole idea I guess is that they're just eating something from your plate so just that's a really good way of minimizing waste as well is mm. that you know when you're making a meal for yourself if you just keep in mind like a little bit might be for your little one and just it's very master chef to do a deconstructed version yeah. of <laughs> whatever meal you've yeah, got yeah <laughs> true just think of yourself your little one as the yeah little <laughs> little uh food critic yeah. <laughs> which um, they are yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah you know we say you're making a roast dinner for example like you would just maybe set aside a couple of veggies that you might cut a little bit differently or you know maybe not season as much for example and and that would be a little one's dinner and you know if they don't eat it then more for you (laughs) and so what would you say are the best foods to introduce Mm. when getting started I always get asked what's the best first food Mm. and I like to remind people that there's no best first food but best first foods (laughs) um and so Basically, in terms of the best first foods, you would be wanting to introduce foods that are considered low allergenic for their first ones because I guess we want to see if they can eat any food. So we don't want to start on like peanuts, for example, and then them have an allergy or something and that's, you know, your introduction to food. So we want to start with some, I mean, all foods can be allergenic, but there's the top nine, I always test my memory, (laughs) so peanuts, tree nuts, eggs, Wheat. Uh, sesame, fish, shellfish, wheat, dairy, and soy. Yep. There you go. <laughs> got it. I've got to say them in that order or I mess it up. <laughs> so they're the ones that you want to, you know, we definitely want to be introducing them by 12 months, but we don't want to start with them. So I always say give it a couple of weeks um, unless you're one of those little ones we were talking about earlier yeah. who might start on the allergens. But normally a couple of weeks of starting on the foods considered low allergenic and then introduce those. The other things that we want to be uh, focusing on are, I guess, their biggest nutrient requirements are iron and zinc. So the, I guess, thing that breast milk or formula is not meeting anymore is that and Mm. by around that six-month of age for most babies. So they're the foods that we want to prioritise, especially if you find that your little one's not very interested in solids, Mm. then that's really the food you want to prioritise because, if they only eat anything, then at least yeah. it's a food that's high in iron. So, um, you know, you've got your heme iron sources, which is like your, your red meats and your poultry. Um, they're amazing foods to, to offer your baby from mm-hmm. the get-go. Um, but we also want to be focusing on things like your beautiful nourishing root vegetables. Yeah. Uh, bone broths are really uh, – I'm a big fan of bone broth because it helps to, you know, digest the food yeah. it's really easily digested and full of collagen and yeah lots of beautiful things for our little ones and you know something that you can cook their food in as well just to add some extra benefits there the biggest one I think I've been known for is liver mm. <laughs> but it's so, so nutrient dense I'm like the liver like... king you know the liver king on Instagram I'm like no. the liver... oh there's a guy called liver king oh. he's a bit scary it's okay. raw and anyway cool. Anyway, he's very bold. <laughs> but it is, I guess, the the most nutrient-dense food that there is gram yeah. for gram. And so, again, if your little one is only eating small amounts, liver is an amazing food to offer them. So you can either grate the liver into meals. So we would often grate frozen raw liver into puree as we're cooking that puree uh, or 
You can also offer it pan fried like strips of liver. You can blend, cook it and then blend it up as mm. like a pate type thing without the alcohol. <laughs> yeah, and just with the grating it frozen and raw into the, uh, into the yeah, whatever the meal is, mm. the meal is hot. So when you're grating it, it is, it, it is cooking it. it the whole way mm. through because it will be so fine. It basically dissolves it when does, you do yeah. that. It's um, yeah. but The meal needs to be over 70 degrees yes. to cook it. So, yes, you're still cooking it. Mm. Uh, but it's just an easy way of adding it in. Yeah. So livers, yeah, an amazing one for for our little ones, and they don't need to eat a lot of it. Mm. Um, but they can have that, you know, quite a few times a yeah, week. Yeah, small amounts into their very small amount yeah. that they consume. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, you might make that a balanced meal. You might add that into some sweet potato with some broth or something and that's a beautiful meal and if your little one or you as a family don't consume animal foods Mm. there are plant-based sources of iron it's in a different form so it's non-heme iron which it is less bioavailable so the iron is present but it's not as well utilized by the body um but you know it's still very possible to um you know, feed your little one a plant-based diet. You've just got to be a little bit more thoughtful around the consumption of these key nutrients. But some plant-based sources of iron would be, you know, things like your lentils, your leafy greens, particularly parsley, which I know is like a weird one to think about feeding to a child. (laughs) To be honest, yeah, pesto. And like, I feel as though, you know, in these early exposures to solids it's just such a new exciting experience for them that they often are quite receptive to strong tastes Mm. and I think we sometimes have to take away our mental aversions or our food preferences and just allow the babies to explore because they don't necessarily have those same preferences just yet um spirulina can also be useful um, for plant-based babies and if you don't consume meat but you're vegetarian um eggs as well but obviously they're an allergen Mm. so um yeah yeah some good choices yeah so they're i guess they're the nutrients we want to focus on and milk to meals does go through this in way more detail if you're interested but I guess from like actual, you know, we also don't want to encourage people to focus, you know, on micronutrients and, you know, trying to calculate exact amounts and milligrams that they need. That's not what we want to encourage. But basically providing a a diet of variety Mm. and a diet of whole foods is going to provide that. Every food has different nutrients in it. And we need them all. We do, yeah. (laughs) And we want to really work on, you know, making a balanced meal for our children. So incorporating beautiful carbohydrates and fats and proteins and all of these good things are going to, yeah, help to sustain them and help keep their blood glucose levels um, sustained and also just providing, yeah, all the nutrients that they need. So we don't want you to be looking, you know, specifically at Mm. different nutrients, but if you do find that your little one isn't, eating a lot then the iron is the one that we would recommend that you focus on um until they are eating more and then you know for example we have all these ideas like when can I make I don't know pancakes or (laughs) chia pudding and things like that and I think they're beautiful amazing nourishing Mm. foods but if your baby's only having one meal a day and small amounts focus on the iron rich food for that one because that's your only opportunity and that's actually the nutrient that they need and so you know, save those things for when they're on two meals a day or three meals a day and then you're adding more of that variety of foods to their diet when they're only having that one meal a day. Yeah. yeah. The high iron and zinc foods are what we want to be focusing on there. Um, and, yeah, the, the easiest way to, to do that and to have also the cofactors to be able to uh, absorb all of those that iron or not all of it but as much as yeah. the body can <laughs> absorb of that is through heme sources of iron so yeah. which is your meats and then you'll also find the zinc sitting conveniently alongside mm. so your, your high iron foods are often high zinc as well when we're talking about those animal foods um, which yeah zinc is also really critical for their health and development in that time but also ongoing I mean there's still two really important nutrients for us as adults but um, your baby particularly with iron is actually going to require even more iron than an adult male and you Mm. think about they've got such a little tiny body so as a ratio to you know their size and their consumption of foods um, it's like the highest need of iron in their life yeah which is we find that 
is quite unachievable yes, to really meet the exact yeah. milligrams, which is why I don't like to talk about milligrams so yeah. much. But you know, just giving them those opportunities to eat the high iron yes. foods as, and again, like we mentioned earlier, it's up to them whether they eat it or not. Mm-hmm. The only foods that you want to avoid when we're starting solids, like I said, I would I would personally recommend not doing the the top allergens for that first couple of weeks while you're just sussing out normal foods and sorry not normal low allergenic type foods then I would start introducing some of the allergens like peanuts and um you know your tree nuts and eggs and things like that then I would start moving on to those foods and I think we'll do a whole podcast just dedicated to allergens because we could talk about that for an hour (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but the only foods that you want to avoid are honey you want to avoid honey until at least 12 months of age Mm -hmm. because there's a risk of infant botulism which is like a rare type of food poisoning which for some reason seems to be okay after 12 months (laughs) yeah well they say I mean it's a really interesting one probably do a podcast on this too um (laughs) Look, I do, I do think, you know, that's obviously the guidelines, so recommended to avoid that. Um, it's a, an organism that infants are much more susceptible to it because mm-hmm. of the lower amounts of um, hydrochloric acid and those digestive enzymes to, you know, we, I guess, have those mechanisms in place to protect us from the microbes that we're exposed to, but infants have less of those. So mm-hmm. it can be quite serious if contracted. It is very rare, um, but, yeah, still recommended to avoid mm. honey until after 12 months of age. Yeah, and that's in any form, cooked mm. or anything, so we want to avoid that. The other one that uh, I guess this can be a bit of a cause of contention and confusion is sodium. Mm. We actually did a really, really, really <laughs> <laughs> research Uh big deep delve into sodium and the guidelines and where those come from if you want to have a read. Yeah, that's um, on our blog and mm, there's a million references and yes. um yeah. And look, we do want to limit the sodium because in we don't want to add heaps of salt to their food. But it's totally okay if they eat something off your plate that has a little bit of salt on it. Yeah, I guess just to <laughs> skim the article and get to the conclusion (laughs) basically in a nutshell I do recommend going to read it so that you have the full context but you know the takeaway was that if you as a family eat home-cooked whole food meals um, it's totally okay for those meals to be offered to your infant Um, if your family tends to eat a lot more processed and packaged foods or fast foods then the sodium might be too high so it's not advisable in that instance um but yeah have a read on our website and yeah yeah it's quite in depth <laughs> <laughs> i feel like we could chat about starting solids forever but um i think we'll have to just do a part two yeah for sure and if you yeah. have any questions like please send them on through mm. we're obviously more than happy to talk about this topic <laughs> <laughs> forever <laughs> Um, but yeah, we'd love to answer your questions if there's any way that we can help support you or guide you further. Um, otherwise I hope that was a a good starting place. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, if you do have any questions, feel Mm. free to send them through, um, our email podcast at boobtofood.com because we'd love to do a follow-up podcast answering your questions as well. So feel free to ask them if we haven't covered anything in today's episode. And we'll uh, see you next week. Bye. Are you going to say bye? (laughs) Well, I say bye in the outro. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Boob to Food, the podcast. We hope this episode made you feel inspired, confident and less overwhelmed in your parenting journey. Head to the show notes for all the resources mentioned on today's episode. And if you loved this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate and review. See you next week. Bye.